0: Uh, Sam Kidston uh, from Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'd like you to ask to discuss the similarities and differences between what you do in your reinsurance operations and what Gen Reed did in its Securities Division, as it would seem that reinsurance is often a form of weather derivative. I would also like to, to ask you why you are so comfortable writing What appears to be one type of derivative, and so uncomfortable writing another. Thank you.
1: Yeah, the the derivatives contracts that Genry wrote in Genry Securities, um, I would say, bore very little, bore very little uh, relation uh, to the insurance business as we see it. I mean, we, we. We are insuring against events that people either can't or aren't willing to take on the risk themselves. Uh, In the derivatives business, a lot of that was uh, speculative activity of one sort or another. The more complex the arrangements were, the easier it was to claim that large profits were being made when maybe large losses really awaited you over time. They were, they were created transactions without much economic necessity. In a great many cases, they were just facilitating speculation. Uh, insurance deals with taking on risks that people incur in their business or personal life that they don't want to uh, bear themselves or that they're unable to bear themselves. I, there was very little connection between the business. I think, I think that in going into the business, they dreamt up a lot of reasons for it. You know, they said they're both in the risk business and their clients were going to demand it and is
0: chock full of clauses saying that if one party's credit gets downgraded by a rating agency, they have to start posting collateral. And that's just like a margin account. And when you sign pieces of paper like that, you can go absolutely broke into default and catastrophe and having other people liquidating your positions under distress conditions, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of irresponsible mechanics. In attempting to protect themselves, they've introduced this enormous instability into the system through all these clauses about collateral posting, and nobody seems to — recognize what a disaster of a system they've created in an attempt to make each party feel safer it's a, it's de, it's a demented system and uh, and you you don't get properly paid in most cases for 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 playing the game and therefore we're not in it
1: absent the ability to raise new capital at the time and who knows whether that would have been they've been able to or not Genre which had been rated AAA, it still is because Berkshire is involved, but it, which had been rated AAA, could well have run into uh, really terrible financial difficulty um, post-September uh, 11th, particularly if, if they'd fully recognized the liabilities uh, that they'd already incurred but not fully recognized at that time, because their capital would have shrunk they would have had way more inequities which would have uh shrunk further and who knows how far you know at the time how far it would have gone plus they would have had in my view they would have been downgraded quite significantly and and that might well have triggered things in in their derivatives activities which would have required coming up with loads of cash it was it was not built to last and it's it is now built to last but i would say that that threat uh, exists with other financial institutions as well. Uh, But I think many of the CEOs — or some of them anyway, I should say — don't really fully comprehend that. Uh, When you get margin calls for huge amounts of money, you know, it it only has to be one day when you can't meet it. Uh, That almost happened — if you go back to October of 1987, there was a large wire transfer that didn't make it to the — for a while — didn't make it to the clearinghouse at the uh, — uh, in Chicago. And that came close to hauling the whole system at the time, and we were very close to closing the exchange. And uh, a lot of things would have unraveled the money finally showed up. but. It's dangerous to have a system where people are depending on billions of dollars coming in from other people. Well, we had that on Solomon on that Sunday in 1991. If Solomon had gone bankrupt, the next day you would have had people on the other side of $1.2 trillion of notional amount of something like that, of derivatives who uh, would have had a contract with a party that, where they would have been dealing with a bankruptcy court. You would have all kinds of security settlements that wouldn't necessarily have settled. You would have all kinds of confusion. And believe me, it would have been huge at that time between what was going on in Japan, what was going on in, in the UK, and what was going in the United States, because the accounts were all intermingled. As a matter of fact, Solomon was, a, was banking, was running a bank in Germany where which took on large amounts of deposits from individuals and and just loaned it all to Solomon. So it would have had a receivable from a bankrupt company and owed money to — I don't know how many German depositors. There there are all kinds of things that would have come out at that time. And who knows what the effect would be on the system. You don't need to put more and more of those kind of linkages and strains on an economic system that already is pretty damn leveraged. — Charlie, you got any further thoughts? We love talking about disasters, so you don't, don't stop us. <laughs> it's
0: simply amazing what goes on in these seemingly rational places. Solomon was at least as disciplined and honorable and rational as the other leading investment banks. And yet, toward the end of our pleasant period, Solomon was begging for new invest, investment banking business from Maxwell. And his nickname was The Bouncing Check. Now, and of course, it wasn't very much after that, than he committed suicide after massive embezzlements of pension funds and a huge collapse. And now, you think of a guy's nickname was The Bouncing Check, you wouldn't be madly seeking his investment banking business. But all the leading investment banks were.
1: Yeah, I'm fuzzy on it now, but actually the morning of the day was discovered to be bobbing around in the ocean. The uh, I think at Solomon, we had transferred a bunch of money to somebody over in Germany or Switzerland, and we were supposed to get some more money back that afternoon. And um, This is basically correct. I may be a little bit off on the details. But the money that got sent got sent, but the money that was to be received did not get received, and then we went over to England and tried to collect it from his sons, and we got stiff-armed in one way or another. I mean, we got what we deserved, frankly, in a transaction like that. But to the investment banker involved, his earnings that year was—were going to be affected in a significant way by whether he wrote a ticket or two more with Maxwell. And, and, uh, you know, in the end, that carried the day, and, uh, and it's very hard to control people when their income depends on bringing in dubious people into the door. Uh, they care enormously about it, and you've got this big system that doesn't quite pick up on it. And Charlie's mentioned before, you know, one of the underwriting clients that that came forth that uh, Solomon took on that uh, professed to be doing wonderful things with money, and it turned out to be a huge fraud. Well. It's, it's tough to stop. You've got dozens and dozens of people running around out there all thinking about whether, how big their bonus is going to be at the end of the year. And, you know, they are, not, they are not inclined to run morality checks on who they do business with.
0: That was a wonderful experience. Warren and I and Lou Simpson are all directors of a company, and we are by far the biggest shareholder. And we all said we should not be doing business with this guy. This is a very dangerous transaction. And they told us it had been approved by the underwriting committee and of course that settled matters and uh,
1: this guy had a neon sign that said crook on him as far as we were concerned he was <laughs>
0: waving it vigorously yes yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it had been through the underwriting committee they they uh, the transaction closed but not financially i mean they had the underwriting but, the, but they hadn't had the financial closing they caught him
1: on the way to the bank.
0: <laughs> You're right. They, they they pulled back just from the edge of the precipice in this big fraudulent. And, of course, they got egg all over their faces. That phrase reminds me of, of uh, oh, one of the leading lawyers of yore. And he said, Captain of my soul, he says, or Captain of my fate, he says, Hell, I don't even pull an oar. I mean, here we are. <laughs> All three of us on the board are the biggest shareholder, and we can't even stop one stupid little underwriting.
1: He did go to jail, though. I think didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, he claimed, incidentally, to be a huge shareholder of Berkshire Hathaway and had made all this money. And I went to the uh, I went to the shareholders list, and admittedly, he could have had it in street name someplace, but it was a big quantity. on no, we I couldn't find a record in any place, but but he did have some kind of a letter from a. An accounting firm uh, that uh, yeah. was backing him up. Uh, didn't back him up all the way, though, <laughs> it turned out. Number 11, please.